Hello and welcome back to the podcast for the love of God. Today we're going to be going over what happened in chapter 12 and we're going to be talking about what happens in chapters 13 through the end of the book. So revisiting chapter 12, here we talk about the yes, yes, no, no question, which was a big um, part of the book and was really controversial and basically determined like the future of everyone. So they all chose yes, yes. And then in the beginning of chapter 13, they started talking about um, uh, they turned finally turned them in. So, yeah. Then they went on to the next um, interment camp after they signed the yes, yes, yes. And uh, if you, Lauren, if you would want to talk about their feelings towards the next interment camp. Sure. So they were actually very excited to go to the next, well, not excited, but they were optimistic about it because... They assumed that the loyalists to America would have a better life. They would be treated better than those who were against America and were loyal to Japan. However, when they realized that nothing had changed, it was just another move. And everything looked the same. They were the same rooms, the same sizes. And but there was more tension actually, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, because everyone thought, "Hey, we're going to this new camp. It's going to be better," and it wasn't. You know. Yeah, it- and they lost their friends, and like all the connections that they made at the other place were just gone. Yeah, and I think looking back, she would have been like, "Well, why we even go to this new one?" You know. Yeah, like, what's the point? But one thing that she did mention was that she was glad to go because the old camp, they were having riots and stuff after, like, the no-no, yes-yes people were fighting a lot. So she did say she was happy to go because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Continuing on to chapter... uh... What, chapter 14? Chapter 14? Um, Yonichi finally gets the, hey, you're going to be drafted. Um, uh, think of a slip. And so, essentially, he wanted to leave for a couple months to, like, get out of his head a little, I think. And he left, and he came back, and then, uh, then he finally got, okay, you're coming into the war soon. And... I think Mary-san went through a lot through that time. Yeah, because there was fear that she was going to lose her brother, he was going to die in war. And then she also had the added responsibility of taking care of her parents, which for basically her entire life her brother did. So, And then plus she was figuring out what to do with the rest of her life, and she decided to become a nurse. Yeah, and when um, her brother was leaving, it was really hard on, like, her whole family. And uh, I remember before he left, he started to act in, like, a silly way he would, when they were back at home. And he would make them laugh. 
And um, before he left, he said, um, thank you for everything. Take good care of each other and try not to worry. And it just, like, you can, like, feel that fear that's, like, settling in all of them. Like, it's, like, a realization, like, this could be the last time, like, we see each other. Yeah, they also talked about this 100-stitch um, belt, belt. And this, basically, a lot of everyone would make their own one stitch. And I think that was a big, like, symbol. Like, okay, you're finally leaving. And they're, like, a part of, like, breaking away the family bond, I, I would put. Yeah, but I do think it's really great like this tradition because it's kind of you're bringing your community and your family with you yeah okay so next we're going to talk about mary's experience as a nurse and uh her education after leaving the camp um, so she finally got, like, she was working at the, the towns, towns in the intermittent camp, towns hospital as a nurse's aide. And Zola, the person, um, mentioned and that she was talking to, um, was mentioned a new federal program that trained nurses for the war. It was the United States Cadet Nurse Corps. And she thought about, like, um, applying because she was like okay well my brother's gone and I want to do something with my life yeah so she decided to become a registered nurse and I think it was a really good experience for her because she had been like trapped in a camp for so long so just being able to get out and do something with her life was really meaningful to her, especially something as important as being a nurse. Yeah, as well as um, when they finally, they were doing the bus trip, um, I one of the people or men said, I ought to slit your throat from ear to ear, you goddamn Jap. I think she had some feelings towards that because his, uh, his, um, he had a straight-edged razor against my throat with his right hand. Is that what? That's what she said in the thing. And yeah, he was a barber, so he had a razor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that was like her first. Like, of course, throughout like this whole book, she's always been like really fearful about like, oh my gosh, what if they're gonna kill us? Like at these camps. But in this moment, I feel like that was, like, um, the closest feeling, like, she got to, she was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die right now. Like, this man doesn't like Japanese people, and, like, he's holding my neck and holding a razor against my throat. Like, I'm going to die right now. Yeah, I, that I couldn't imagine what that would be like. That would be so scary. And yeah. she said in this chapter, something deep inside of me resisted sharing that horrifying experience with my parents. I was beginning to feel more like an adult, and I wanted to act like one. I could deal with the racism and protect them from one more assault, just as they had shielded me for many years. I think that was like really significant that she was finally like becoming her own self instead of just shadowing under her family sort of 
Yeah, I think we're starting to see that she's becoming more independent and more of an adult. So she turned 18 in this chapter, in chapter 13. So she's finally becoming an adult, being more independent. Yeah. And learning how to live by herself. Yeah, and I know, like, when I first read that, I was just like, oh my gosh, she didn't tell her family, and I was thinking, like, I would have literally, like, run up to them and tell them what just happened, but that just, like, helps realize more, like, her independence and how much, like, she's growing into an adult. Yeah, I also, I think that shows, like, their Japanese culture, how they don't, it seems like they don't share very much, like, emotionally or they don't talk about their problems very often so I think just this whole thing that she's not telling her parents is a reflection of that yeah and when she finally leaves and actually mama Sun goes off to do something for herself um and they're writing letters back and forth and I mean they're not really like like back and forth but they're like every month checkups um and I think those are signs of the family bond continuing, even though it's hard to reach out. They're busy in their own ways. And Mama and Papa Son are doing their own things, but they're still keeping the family together, even during these hard times. Yeah, clearly these letters are very important to all of them. It's their way to communicate with each other and just stay in touch. And I also think we'll see later that these letters become very important when she visits uh, her internment camp again. Yeah, and like, um, like they're so busy with like what's happening in their lives right now, and like many families who aren't as close would have perfectly fine just like stopped communicating with each other in general but that just shows like how close their bond is and for Mary to put the, the exact letters in her book like many years later just shows how significant they are yeah which means like she kept all of these letters for decades basically yeah. Yeah, um, when when they were talking about the letters, I think, and she was facing her own problems, too, because now that Yonichi was gone, now she had the whole burden of the family farm because her parents weren't um, fully American citizens, so she had to take care of the family farm and figure out what's going on there, and that's... Yeah, they were having problems with money. They were trying to communicate with the sheriff, right? Yeah, and the sheriff was in not... Um, when they left Vishan, they he kind of just took all the profits and kept up with the bare minimum of the farm, so it was pretty hard. Yeah, they actually had to get a lawyer involved, and when she was away, she asked a lawyer from her new town to help her, and he actually refused to help because she was Japanese, and that seemed like her own problem. I also think this yeah. was really stressful to her because. She was starting to fall asleep in class, and she's not a type of student that usually does that. Yeah, but I think the teachers, they realized that she was really struggling with getting an education, becoming a nurse, and also her parents and her family farm. So just that combination of 
work life and personal life was really getting to her. Yeah, and it was, I think it was a little too much. She wasn't used to dealing with everything from one hand and everything from another. It's a lot of work for her. Yeah, and like you guys said, <clears throat> sorry, like you guys said, um, like the teachers like really understanding of it because she also said that um, she fell asleep in class one day and like the specific teacher that was that she was with that day um like normally she would punish other people for like the smallest things but she didn't for the situation yeah yeah one thing i also want to mention is the importance of their uniforms which is shown in chapter 15 when mary and her brother come back to the camp and her brother is wearing his military uniform and she's wearing her nurse uniform and they're getting a lot of stares but it was almost a it wasn't a bad stare it was a good stare because no one had seen a woman in a uniform before and I thought it was really cool that she was like the first one to come back to her camp with a uniform yeah I found that pretty interesting that she was like Oh, they're not. They're probably should be super used to a man in uniform, and then her parents were like, "But they never see a woman in uniform." So, yeah, like, yeah, I thought that was. Yeah, it definitely gives like a sense of like woman like empowerment because like to her like it. I don't even think she realized it until like they said like, "Oh, you don't like see a woman in uniform," and then it's just like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, okay, so one other thing I want to mention is this quote from one of her friend's uncles. He said, that's a nice-looking Chinese girl there. And her friend responded, that's not a Chinese girl, she's Japanese-American. And I honestly really related to this, because this has happened to me a lot, where people assume that I'm, like, Korean or like Vietnamese I've gotten as well or even like if there's Chinese writing somewhere like someone will ask me to read it so I actually really related to that so I thought that was really funny in chapter 16 they start talking about all the wars and and whatnot like everything that happened with the men of the 142nd um regital combat team and it was I Yonichi was in that one and you know, as the story progresses, he never talks about his war experiences to her. Even as they got older, like 70, 80, they still never talked about it. So I think that was a big part of um, her story because she couldn't write about what Yonichi did for the com- um, for the country because he wouldn't talk about it. Yeah, and then she also mentions that she sees how he's become a lot more serious. She, he's not the same, like, loving, funny person. After that one. He's become a lot more closed off, which I think is interesting. Because, obviously, something happened in that war that has changed him so much personally. But he's not willing to talk about it. So it must have been really horrific so if we look back on pearl harbor and what happened there 
what do you guys think that it would have led to where they are now? Well, I think Pearl Harbor changed their lives. It really did. Like the Pearl Harbor led to them being put into these internment camps. And I think she did have, Mary had a lot of resentment for the Japanese people and what they did in Hawaii because it directly affected them. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what caused sort of her loss of identity because at that time she didn't feel like a Japanese person, but she didn't feel like an American, you know? Yeah, and I actually have a quote from after, um, I think, yeah, this was after the first atomic bomb. Um, It says, Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor became the impetus for quarreling all of us of Japanese descent into internment camps. But when I saw pictures of Japanese people burned and charred by the atomic blast, I was heartbroken for them. I was an American by birth, but at that moment, I was Japanese. The full impact of that event instantly seared upon my heart. Yeah, I think that quote is super, super important because it kind of shows as she's gotten older, she's figured out herself, like she's figured out her identity and how she realized she could be both Japanese and American. Yeah, for sure. And then on chapter 17, the the first sentence is the official end of the war was on August 15, 1945. And that was a big deal. The parents finally went home to Vashon. Everything was settling. She was coming back. And then something happened with uh, Mama-san. Anyone would like to elaborate? So she got stomach cancer. Um, so she was very ill. And people could see her health was declining fast. So... Mary is so this is a little bit in the future right so Mary's married to her husband Charles and she brings her kids to the farm to just say goodbye to their grandma and her mother and just spend some time with her in her last few months and I think um she talked about how she had to like wash um, her mom for the last time and how she's washed so many bodies, washed so many, washed so many people before, but this will. Yeah. As a nurse. Yeah. It was kind of like she was a shell of who she used to be. Yeah. And then I want to talk about how she, the mama's son was ready to die, and she actually asked Mary to give her a lethal dose of pain medicine so that she could go to die. And in her last day, she was talking a lot about God and how she's had a good life and she's ready to go, which must have been so difficult For to hear. Mary. I think. Yeah, especially because she asked, basically she asked Mary to kill her. 
kind of yep. indirectly. In chapter 19 of uh, 2004, Mary would have been, no, 70, 80 at this point. Um, she returned to Minidoka internment camp and she went into the camp and she saw the barbed wire and she was like, and then she, the barbed wire was always a symbol throughout this time. But when she went into the camp, she just, she just like closed up, I think. Yeah, it was really a symbol of like, she personally, like her emotions, she closed up, but then also she reflected on how for so many important years of her life, she was also trapped in this place. Yeah, like when she first got there in the book, it like she said that it just took her right back to when it all first happened. So as, yeah, as after- Yeah, and- You go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna mention that she was very hesitant to speak at the beginning and she really didn't she was nervous to talk about what had happened which again shows a lot about like their culture as like Japanese people how they're not comfortable sharing with each other but towards the end she does and Georgia do you want to talk about that or whatever you're gonna talk talk about about that she um she talked about using the letters from her mom that she kept through all these years she talked about everything that had happened, her experiences with the places, her experiences when she left home, and she finally let it all out to the crowd. Yeah, and something I found really fascinating was that she said, as I read Mama-san's letters, all written in Japanese, I suddenly became aware that my voice sounded like hers. I paused where she would have paused. I emphasized the words she would have. It was her voice speaking to the third and fourth uh, generations of Japanese Americans who were listening. Together, we were telling the next two generations our story. Which I thought that was super, super cool because although her mom wasn't there anymore, she still had a piece of her and she was still able to tell her story as well as her mom's. So wrapping up the end of the story, um, Ronald Reagan signed the Civil Liberties Act and gave each other a letter of apology, and 20000 This is for the still-alive Japanese-American. And in this chapter, um, everyone's dead because <laughs> she's the only one living as her family. You know, Nietzsche died because of a heart attack. And so I think that it was, um, it was a big experience for her. She was like, why am I getting this if everyone's dead? Uh, so at the end of the final afterward, she mentions the shells. Drew, if you want to elaborate on what the shells hold to her. Um, I actually don't remember much about the shells. I don't know why, but, um, if you guys want to elaborate on that. Okay, I can talk about them. So the seashells came up earlier in the book where she was with her friends and they were collecting seashells right Georgia and so these seashells she took with her and although the treasures from Japan that they had 
that her family had brought were gone. They were burned that night in 1942. Um, these seashells had become a cultural treasure to be passed on to future generations as like a part of their experience in the, these Japanese internment camps. Yeah, it was a big part of, wow, looking back, all of this happened. This is real. And I got to tell this story so people know what America is. And even though she was like, okay, yes, it wasn't America's fault. She was trying to stay non-biased in any way. She just wanted to let the world know her story. Yeah, I think it was really the concept of forgive, but never forget, you know. And that's concluding our end of Looking Like the Enemy, our podcast.